0: ask you to please um, join your hearts to mine as we um, lift up um, a prayer to our God and Father. O Lord, our God, we count it among the greatest privileges of our lives to be gathered in this assembly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been reconciled to you, by his cross, knowing that he has won our justification through his death and resurrection, that he rules over us at this very moment. Though we do not see him now, we know that we will. With our eyes and our flesh, we will behold him. Father, we thank you That you are the God of the living, not the dead. That those who fall asleep in Christ are with you now, worshiping you, crying out, holy, 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 just as we are doing here right now this morning in West Jefferson. Oh, Father, we give you thanksgiving for that hope that is ours of the resurrection That you have freed us from the fear of death and condemnation. That the Son has set us free and we are therefore free indeed. Lord, we pray that you would please continue to be pleased to pour out your blessings upon the gathering church. We thank you for the many kindnesses that you have seen fit to give us over the last 11 years we pray o oh god that you would equip all of us not to grow weary in doing good that individually and corporately that we would run the race that you have set before us keeping our eyes upon jesus who was waiting for us at the finish line. Oh Lord, would you help all of us to continue um, in our own homes, to be about the business of worshiping you and growing in our relationships with you and private devotions. And Lord, that our body would continually grow warmer and warmer in our love for, our affections for, our devotion to our Lord Jesus, our King, that you would accomplish your good purposes in the gathering church. We pray for Faith Reform Baptist Church in Media, Pennsylvania, as they are going through a season of preparing to expand their building and their property, as you have been granting them growth Father, during a season when they have recently installed Pastor Tom Wazinski to serve alongside Pastor Matt Foreman and the other elders there, as there's so much going on there and they are enjoying um, fruits of blessings that you have seen fit to give them as you have smiled upon their congregation. Um, We ask, O God, that you would help them, that you would grant them wisdom, sustaining grace as they work through these things, making building plans. Um, Father, as the elders, um, their elder board um, goes into a new season of having another faithful man of God joining them and just the different dynamics that that brings, that you would help them to work well together for the good of that church and for the glory of your great name. We thank you for all the young people in their midst who are seeking baptism after making professions of faith, that you would continue the work that you have begun by your Holy Spirit and that you would help the elders to disciple them um, during this season. But we rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Media, Pennsylvania, and we ask, O Lord, that you would um, continue um, to give blessings from your storehouses upon that embassy of the kingdom of Christ. Holy Father, we also remember the church planning work that's going down in Wilkesboro that our own church is engaged in as the gathering has taken on the role of being a mother of another church plant and seeking to nurture it and bring it into being down the mountain, we recognize, oh God, that unless you build the house, we labor in vain that build it. And so we pray that you would um, continue to build that house down in Wilkesboro, that you would bless all of the people that are part of that work, that you would help them to continue to grow in zeal, to grow in knowledge of your word, that that core group would continue to grow closer together, that you would bring more people to that work. We are so excited to see the steam that has been building up in recent days. Oh Lord, our God, please give sustaining grace to our brother Tim, to our pastor Scott, as they are leading this charge, as it were, down the mountain, help them to be bold, to be encouraged, um, to bring um, this um, good work to completion that this um, church plant would be able to constitute soon, and that you would help us here at the gathering to support them and to pray for them, to seek to encourage them with our gifts, with our talents, Um, and Lord, that for your great name that you would accomplish this work um, down the mountain. Father, we also remember on a larger scale, a national scale, um, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. We lift her up to you this morning. Oh God, we pray that you would have mercy upon her. We pray that you would have mercy upon her husband and all her family. Oh God, would you Show her the tremendous unmerited kindness of pouring out the gifts of repentance and faith upon the speaker of the house. That she would turn to the Lord Jesus, acknowledging him as her Lord, as the King of Kings, that she would find refuge in him, in his gospel. Oh God, as she continues to exercise. Um, her duties and responsibilities in the House of Representatives. We pray that you would please grant her wisdom, Father, that she would exercise that role in such a way that she would advocate for righteousness and that just legislation would be voted on and passed in the House of Representatives and not legislation, that brings your judgment and wrath upon this land, but Father, that you would grant um, her and the entire legislative body in Washington um, repentance and faith in those regards and that they would govern in such a way that we would lead quiet and peaceful lives as believers, godly and dignified in every way. And so we lift her up before your throne of grace. Holy Father, we remember our sister Kim Finney and all of her family as the funeral for her dear late father is going on in just um, a couple of hours. Please comfort the family during this time. Help them as they grieve. Help them to do so in a godly way. We rejoice that they do not grieve as those without hope, but that our sister's father was a believer that he is in the arms of Jesus this very morning. We pray that you would comfort Kimberly and the family with that knowledge. We ask that the gospel would go forth boldly in that funeral service, that you would be glorified and magnified, and that you would grant safety to Pastor Scott and his family um, as they travel there and bring them back, oh God, please, to us later this evening. Father, for um, Leah as um, she is preparing for just on t- tomorrow morning um, to have um, the surgery for her cesarean section as she gives birth to her and Jared's um, baby girl. We ask that you would sustain her through that surgery. O oh, Lord, that um, you would give great help um, to the doctors, the physicians, all the nurses that will be tending to her, that it would be successful, that there would be no complications, that they would be able to welcome this precious little image bearer into the world tomorrow morning. Father, that you would bless Jared as he prepares for his um, family to grow. Um, we give you thanksgiving for this wonderful gift that um, that you are bestowing upon the Ingersoll family and we entrust them to you in faith. And now, O Lord, we lift up the petition to you that you would be pleased to pour out upon us grace and help as your word is preached. We ask that you would prepare our hearts that you would thwart the devices of our enemy, Satan, to distract us, to keep the seed of the word from being sown in our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give growth, because once again we recognize, O oh Lord, that we are entirely dependent upon you for that, and we ask that you would accomplish that in our midst today. And Holy Father, we lift all of these petitions up before you by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Our text this morning is going to be found in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 27 as we continue our series through this first book of the Torah and indeed this first book of the Bible. We began a couple of weeks ago walking through the genealogy of the family of Seth, the son of Adam, and that is what we are going to continue doing this morning coming to Enoch and Methuselah. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. Please stand with me as the word of God is read. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. These are the words of God. When Enoch had lived 65 years, He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. These are the words of God. You may be seated. Have you ever watched a sneak peek before? If you don't know what sneak peeks are, I trust most of you do, but if you don't, I'll give you a quick rundown. When there's a movie or a TV show coming out, maybe one that's highly anticipated, sometimes studios will release a clip or a scene from the movie or the series to sort of drum up excitement, gets people interested in the product, gets them interested enough to buy a ticket or start streaming it when it comes out on Netflix or Disney Plus. It's a little piece of the movie, a preview of coming attractions, if you will. And if you put a good sneak peek online You can get thousands, maybe even millions of clicks and hits on YouTube. But what exactly makes it a sneak peek? Well, quite obviously, I think it's because the movie isn't out yet. That's why it's a sneak peek. It's not opening day at the box office yet. But the studio is letting you see a a little bit, a little piece of the movie, just a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will. And I trust by this point, beloved, you've probably caught on to my ingenious illustration here. The story of Enoch, which we are reading about this morning, which Moses has related to us here in Genesis chapter 5, is something of a sneak peek. Not a sneak peek of a movie, of course, but it is the sneak peek to the end of a story. The end of a story that God has been telling through his acts of creation and providence. The tale of Enoch, short as it is, is a sneak preview of the day of the Lord. That future last day when Jesus Christ comes back in triumph and transforms this world into the kingdom of God and his Messiah. The story of Enoch reflects a little piece of what's coming for us in the future. Maybe look at it this way. Enoch's little story in Genesis helps us flip all the way to Revelation to see how God's big story comes to its conclusion, the end of the story for the people of God in this age and the beginning of the age to come. Are you excited, brothers and sisters, to dive into this text? Has uh, my sneak peek of the sermon gotten you interested in what's coming next? Well, let's start by looking at verse 21 together. Moses writes, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. So right away, you can see here, we're jumping back into the genealogy where we left off a couple of weeks ago, and we meet Enoch, son of Jared. According to the text, Enoch is about 65 years old when he and his wife, Um, We don't know what her name was, but clearly he had a wife when he and his wife have their son, Methuselah. Now, this isn't actually the first time that we have met a man named Enoch in Genesis. The name might sound familiar to you. Wicked Cain also had a son named Enoch, and Cain even named a city after his son, Enoch. You can see that in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Pastor Kaysen preached about that a couple of months ago. But this man, this Enoch that we are reading about today is clearly a different Enoch, with a different family and, by all accounts, a different relationship to God as well. At first glance, this entry in the genealogy seems quite ordinary. Not to disparage these other men of old in any way, but... All of their spots here are basically the same. Enoch's entry distinguishes itself for a number of reasons. For starters, he represents the seventh generation descended from Adam through the line of Seth. Perhaps it's significant that in the Bible, seven is often depicted um, as a number of completion. What is also significant, perhaps, as some have noted, is that there is a stark difference between the seventh generation of Cain's family and the seventh generation of Seth's family. As Pastor Kaysen showed us a few weeks ago, Lamech was the seventh man descended from Adam through the line of Cain. And um, just to put it briefly, he was the first recorded polygamist He had two wives, Um, he was a braggart, he was arrogant, and he was a violent man. So by highlighting the seventh generation of Cain's family and then the seventh generation of Seth's family, Moses is highlighting for us the stark contrast between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The seventh generations are representative of the general character of these respective family lines. Comparing Lamech and Enoch, we see vividly what results when God hardens hearts and allows men to pursue sin, and what happens when God graciously, and mercifully bestows electing love on sinners like Enoch. Read verse 22 with me now, moving ahead. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Now we find out here two things about Enoch. Number one, after the birth of Methuselah, he lived another 300 years. But secondly, and I believe more importantly, he didn't just live another 300 years. He walked with God for another 300 years. If you jump ahead to Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, which we'll be going through in a few weeks, you will also see that his grandson Noah is said to have walked with God. Now, what does this mean, this phrase, to walk with God? I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that this morning because I believe it's very important. And to do so, to determine exactly what that means, we are going to interpret Scripture with Scripture. When Noah is said to walk with God in Genesis 6, notice how he is described. He is said to be righteous and blameless. Also in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And again, Malachi chapter 2 verse 6, God says of Levi, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many away from iniquity. After surveying these biblical texts, brothers and sisters, I believe we can understand what Moses means by saying that Enoch walked with God. Enoch loved God. Enoch obeyed God's commandments. To walk with God means to not walk in sin, amen? The man of Psalm 1, for instance, refuses to walk in iniquity psalm 1 verse 1 says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night To say that Enoch walked with God, I believe, is kind of a shorthand for saying those very things. It means that the salvation which Enoch possessed by faith in God's promise worked itself out in Enoch's life. It means that Enoch abounded in the fruits of the Spirit. He lived in such a way that his faith was evident to others. His faith was adorned with good works. Enoch's faith was a living faith, brothers and sisters. What image comes into your mind when you hear to walk with, walking with someone? Well, I think of a closeness of relationship a lot of the times. A husband walking with his wife or a father You know, walking through the park, holding his little boy's hand, something like that. I believe that's what Moses wants us to be thinking about when we read that Enoch walked with God. I believe Moses wants us to know that Enoch had a close relationship, deep communion with his God. That shouldn't be surprising to us, beloved. After all, doesn't James tell us? That if we draw near to God, that He will draw near to us. And when you walk with God, church, your love for God grows, it deepens. You behold him for who he is and you will find more and more that when you face temptation that you will more and more be taking those ways of escape from sin that he lovingly and mercifully provides to you. Think of it this way, as you grow in your love for God and you consider how the God that you love hates Sin, you too will grow in your hatred for sin because you love God. Love for God and hatred of sin go hand in hand. Brothers and sisters, as we will talk about more in a moment, Enoch's life and Enoch's privilege, this gift that he has at the end of his earthly life, were extraordinary. Definitely, no doubt about that. But it is my charge and my encouragement to you this morning that through very ordinary means, you too can walk closely with your God. Enoch's God is your God. And I pray that it is your fervent desire to grow closer and closer to Him in this life. You were made for worshipful communion with your Creator. And Jesus Christ has freed you, Christian, to fulfill your created purpose. All of us are called to walk with God. But dear friend, if that sounds more like a burden for you than a delight, I fear for your soul. As I said, communion with God is what all believers desire. It is what we are called to, and it is what we shall endlessly enjoy in the next life without taint of sin. But in this life, brothers and sisters, As we are all being sanctified, we walk with God through what we can think of as very ordinary means. We walk with Him by pouring ourselves into His Word. He speaks to us in the Scripture as we grow in our knowledge of Him, as we grow in our knowledge of His revealed will. The Bible is a treasure. It is a gift to the church. And we in the English-speaking world, I mean, we have an enormous amount of excellent translations and study helps that you can get all for free. Dear believer, if you neglect reading the Holy Scripture, allow me to challenge you in love as your pastor If you really believe that the Bible is God's Word, why don't you read it? If you really believe that within the pages of Scripture that God speaks to you, why don't you set aside time for it? Beloved, is your love growing cold? Would you really rather prefer to play video games or to scroll through TikTok or to post on Facebook then study the revelation of your covenant God to you? Dear ones, as you study the scriptures, you will find yourself being transformed. You will find yourself being sanctified. How do I know that? How do I know that that will happen as you mature in the faith, as you devote yourself to reading and studying the word? Well, for one thing, Jesus prayed to the Father to sanctify us in the truth. And Christ says, your word is truth. I am inclined to believe that God would answer the prayer of the Lord Jesus And speaking of prayer, it too is one of the ordinary means that equips you to walk with God. One of the chief privileges in this life is the ability to boldly approach the throne of grace. Privately, as a corporate body, as we have done this morning, Thursday night prayer meetings, Prayer is communion with our Creator, seeking His face as we lift up praise and thanksgiving to Him for who He is and what He has done, as we seek His face and ask forgiveness for our sins, as we lift up our own needs, as we lift up the needs of our brothers and sisters in our church, in our our families, our friends and neighbors, as we recognize our own weaknesses and our constant dependence upon him for everything, this, like scripture, is a gift to us. It's not a chore. Why do we sometimes treat it like it is? It is a command of God for us to pray, but God's commands are not burdensome, are they? God's commands are the believer's delight. Don't let Satan steal that away from you. Cry out to your God and he will hear you. And even if right now you are feeling conviction for your prayerlessness or your lack of reading the scripture, if you take that to your father in heaven, you will receive mercy and you will receive strength to help in the time of need. And time fails me to speak of other ordinary means, such as the corporate gathering of the church on the Lord's Day, the receiving of the sacraments, bearing one another's burdens, and all of the rest of the ways that we follow our Lord Jesus in this life. But beloved, I say all of that to make one simple point. Walking with God is not the privilege of only a few special, extraordinary believers. Every Christian is able to and called to walk with God. I ask you, is there anything greater that you can experience? Anything greater that could be said of us after our death than that we walked with him? And you are empowered by the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead to do this. And you can walk with God every day of your life. Simple, ordinary faithfulness and obedience can be a precious thing. You can walk with God while you're changing diapers or all the kids, In the house, have the stomach bug. You can walk with God while you're putting in overtime at your job. You can walk with God while you're running errands and doing all the regular things. Ordinary, mundane things that we go about day to day in our lives. I exhort you to do all of those things as unto Christ your king, to be a good husband, to be a good father, wife, mother, son or daughter, employee, church member, whatever it is that God has called you to in your life, to do it to his glory and to walk with him and to hold fast to Christ, trusting that he is transforming you through the ordinary means of grace and as you seek to walk faithfully and humbly with your God, through regular life, not the extraordinary things, but even just the ordinary. Now, that's a lot of time spent on one phrase in one verse. I recognize that, but it's so rich. It's so packed with meaning. It can't be exhausted in just those few words. Moses has related so much about the life and character of our brother Enoch. He commends him for sowing to the spirit for his faithfulness to the ways of God. And as we continue reading about him, we come to verse 23. Read that with me. Thus, all the days of Enoch... We're 365 years. Now, stop right there. I find it interesting if you will look at the rest of the entries in this genealogy. Enoch actually has the shortest lifespan of anyone recorded in it. Now, that being said, obviously, it's still very long by our standards. When was the last time any of you ran into a 365 year old man? You know, some of you dear elderly saints are just young'uns compared to Enoch. So, yeah, definitely a long life by our standards. But, if you'll notice, not even half of the lifespan of Adam, interestingly, Now, oftentimes, um, long lives are signs of God's favor in someone's life when you're reading the Bible. Book of Proverbs, for instance, when we read that, we see Lady Wisdom is said to have long life in her right hand. Now, in Enoch's case, his was not a long earthly life, relatively speaking. This does not mean, however, that he didn't enjoy the favor of God. On the contrary, he was highly favored by the Lord. Now keep reading. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Now, do you think Moses wants to drive that point home? (laughs) Do you think he's trying to emphasize that? Yeah, he wants you to listen up and pay attention as you're reading this account, as you're studying it. He really wants you to know that Enoch walked with God. I think it's very compelling that this phrase appears as a way of summing up, you know, summarizing Enoch's whole life. Loving God was Enoch's lifestyle. So I think it's fair to say that for Enoch, to live was Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches us that. To live is Christ, Paul says. But he finishes up that statement, we know, of course, with the equally beautiful statement, and to die is gain. So while Enoch's life was certainly one lived unto Christ, it's that whole dying thing (laughs) where things get really interesting and where Enoch is revealed to be an exception to the rule. Keep reading. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, this is where Enoch's entry gets really unusual. Six times now, each man in this list has gotten a couple of verses, uh, and it always ends with the refrain, and he died. It's the somber rhythm that has been going through the whole passage. But now suddenly, Moses breaks with the formula. Enoch is not said to have died. He is simply said to be not. As in, not around anymore. As in, gone. Why wasn't he around anymore? Well, the text actually gives us the answer for God took him. Now, someone, I could imagine a a liberal saying something like, well, that's just poetic language referring to his death. Well, there are two problems with that. The first one being, do you really think that Moses would break with the formula that he has already used, if all he meant to communicate was that Enoch died like all these other men. Why would he introduce new language only to return to the old language of, and he died in verse 27 when he comes to Methuselah? No, that, that makes no sense. Secondly, again, using scripture to interpret scripture, As we did earlier, the New Testament actually explicitly tells us what is going on here in Genesis 5. So now I ask you to turn with me. You can keep your your finger in Genesis 5, but go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll read verses five and six. The inspired author says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now you see there the allusion to that language of walking with God. Now, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Have you ever heard the saying, I've heard the saying, the statistic that um, when surveyed, 10 out of 10 people die? Well, we can see that's not entirely true. Enoch, this holy man of old, amazingly, did not die. And perhaps even more amazingly, he's actually not the only one who didn't Die. And I actually want us to see the other account in scripture of a very similar event happening. Um, Flip now to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We come to the story of the end of the earthly life, the pilgrimage of the prophet Elijah, and his final um, um, conversation between him and um, Elisha, his protege, um, his disciple. In 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, the text says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, and what I shall do for you, or what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me, as I am being taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11, and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father! My father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. So amazingly, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, there are two men who God spared from death. Now that, I believe at least, naturally can bring up the question, how exactly does one define death? Well, I think the simplest way to do so is by saying that death is the separation of the soul from the body. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And James teaches us that for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The Bible teaches that it's this separation of soul and body that did not take place for Enoch. Enoch was simply taken into heaven or translated, as is sometimes said, with his body. So coming back now to our text in Genesis 5, we recognize that Enoch and Elijah, for that matter, are exceptions that prove the rule. That rule being that it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. God graciously kept these two saints that we have read about from death in such a way that they never died. Now, I think we all agree that this is a wonderful gift that God gave to Enoch. But we also recognize that it's not a gift that God does or is obligated to give to all of his children. 99.9% of believers will die before entering into the next life. But that does not mean that God isn't pleased with those believers who die. Consider the countless children of God, including martyrs, who have departed from this life in death. Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But now we could think, wow, it sure would be nice (laughs) if God spared all of his children from experiencing the shadow of death, just like he spared Enoch and Elijah. That sure would be nice if God did that. Well, to that thought, I think it's natural for that to come up. To that thought, I believe that the words of the Lord Jesus to the apostle Peter are fitting. I'm sure you remember in John 21, the Lord Jesus tells the apostle Peter that he is going to suffer a martyr's death later on in his life. And um, the Apostle Peter responds to Jesus by asking, basically, well, what about John? What's going to become of John? And the Lord Jesus tells Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, brothers and sisters, it is God's right to glorify himself in our lives however he sees fit to do so and we should not be looking at another believer and thinking that God should give us the exact same blessings that he has been pleased to give that brother or that sister in one sense it's none of our concern what God calls our brother to It's our concern to be faithful and follow Christ in our lives, in our callings. God glorified himself by sparing Enoch from death. God also glorified himself through the martyrdom of the apostle Peter in Rome when he was an old man. It could be that what we face in our lives is very difficult. I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. But remember what Christ says. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, Christ says, is made perfect in your weakness. He is faithful to equip us, to equip you for what he has called you to in your life, beloved. And he promises that all of it, whatever lies ahead of you in your life is for your good and it is for his glory. Now the, that's going to look different for different people. The way that a young believing dad here in West Jefferson who has a good job, has a loving family, the way that he lives for Christ is going to look different than a believer, a saint who's a poor bachelor in North Korea living in squalor worshiping with his church in secret for fear of imprisonment or execution. The way that that saint lives for Christ looks a lot different than the saint here in West Jefferson. Likewise, a dear saint suffering from something like cancer at the end of their life. Well, they are in a very different situation from Enoch, no doubt about it. And yet God loves and is faithful to both of them. He equips both of them for what they have in their lives. When we're thinking about the blessings that other people have, I think it's helpful for us to remember that God doesn't owe any of us anything, does he? Our very breath is a gift. From God, let alone the great salvation that is ours in Christ. He has laid up an inheritance for all of us that we can't even imagine, and He has done so because it pleased Him to do so in Christ. My point, brethren, is that we must seek to be satisfied and content with the estate that God has called us. Now for some, that will be a road marked by more suffering than others. But for all of us, our lives and the end of our lives are by the design of a wise and loving heavenly Father who will glorify himself through all things and who promises never to abandon his children. God didn't owe Enoch this translation into heaven. We read about him being righteous, walking with God. All of that is true. But God did not owe this to him, but he was pleased to do so. It pleased him to spare Enoch from death. And we should not disregard the wonderful miracle that this was for Enoch. Enoch was our brother in Christ. And I think just as we rejoice with one another here in our local body, when God blesses us with different things, the way we rejoice about that, we should rejoice for this gift given to Enoch all these millennia ago. But it does raise the question, why? (laughs) Why? Not why we should rejoice even, but why did God even do this? Why did God spare Enoch's body and soul and bring them into heaven without experiencing death? Why did he spare him that? Well, on one level, the answer is very simple. It's found in Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And clearly... It pleased God to spare Enoch from death. He was pleased to give this reward, to this gift, to a son, an adopted son, a saint who walked with him. But at the same time, beloved, we also recognize that the Old Testament scriptures were written for our benefit. And one of the benefits that comes to us from reading this text is a reminder of what God in Christ has promised to do for all of us. Enoch's translation into heaven strengthens our faith. Why? Well, as men through the centuries, like Gil and Calvin have seen, Enoch's translation into heaven is, remember back to the introduction, it is like a sneak peek of the last day when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. On that day, those believers who are alive, when he appears in the clouds, like Enoch, Paul tells us in Thessalonians, they will not die. Rather, they will enter into glory. They will be caught up to be with Christ in the air. And for those saints who have died already, all of us know saints who have died already. Well, we know that their souls are in heaven right now with Christ. But on that day, they're going to be reunited with their bodies, their bodies are going to be raised incorruptible, glorified, transformed to be like Christ's body. Their soul and body never to be torn asunder again. This is the hope of all believers. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful day that will be. And this is the hope of all believers from righteous Abel, Down to the present day. Job had this hope in the midst of his great afflictions and suffering at the bottom of his life, the the darkest valley that he had probably ever had to walk through. Listen to what Job says For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Enoch's translation, body and soul into heaven, that is a sign from God to you, dear believer, that he will not fail to fulfill his promises to you. It serves as a reminder to all the faithful, all of God's people, that he will save, he will redeem all his people. He will accomplish his purpose. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And all will bow before Jesus Christ as he rules in justice and righteousness forever and ever. That is going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And promises and stories like this in the scripture strengthen our faith such that we are encouraged. We are able to live our lives and to fight our sin and to love one another and not to be anxious about the future, knowing that this is going to happen without fail. That's encouraging. Brothers and sisters, God is a good, gracious, and loving God. And he wants you to know that he is your father. And he makes promises to you that he wants you to believe. He wants you to trust those promises. And this was a blessing for Enoch. But it's a blessing for you too, to read about it. To get this little sneak preview of what's going to happen at the end of the book at the end of the story, when Jesus Christ comes back. This story beautifully pictures the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die death does not have the last word over you, Christian. In fact, that day of the Lord, that that future last day, when Jesus returns, when he destroys death forever, it was actually prophesied by Enoch. For that we return to the New Testament once again. Um, Go to Jude chapter, or or verse, (laughs) rather, 14. Jude verse 14 through 16. Jude writes, It was also about these that Enoch, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted us to look at this text, brothers and sisters, is that it is a sober reminder that the hope of us believers is a horror for the non-believers. On that last day, all wicked men and angels will be consigned to the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever in an unquenching flame. No possibility for relief, and I know that is a hard thing to hear. But it is the truth, and it is the just punishment for sinning against the Lord God Almighty, who is holy, holy, holy who dwells in unapproachable light. Friend, unbeliever in our midst this morning, you must recognize that you are wicked. You are an object of God's wrath, and there is no hope for you save one, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one to whom you must flee. He is the refuge for all who fly to him from the wrath to come. By turning from your sins, by trusting in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Take heart Friend, that if right now you are feeling conviction for your sin, if you are recognizing your own brokenness and guilt, that if you come to him, he will receive you. He promises to never cast you out. He died in agony on the cross to secure the redemption of all who believe in him and rose for the justification of all his people. That's how Enoch was saved. This is the reason why he was able to walk with God and to please God, because he believed the gospel. He looked forward. He believed that promise of the seed of the woman who was coming to crush Satan's head. And God imputed the righteousness of that skull-crushing seed of the woman to Enoch. Now, let's turn back to Genesis 5 again. As we um, wind down here, in verses 25 and 26, Moses transitions from Enoch to his son, Methuselah. He writes, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters now, now let's stop right there. Methuselah is probably a familiar name to most of you. Um, and he had his own son, Lamech. Not the Lamech we talked about earlier, the one from Genesis 4. This is um, another Lamech that we're actually going to be talking about next week. But he had his own son. Of course, we know he had other children as well. Lamech wasn't his only child. But we remember that in this genealogy, Uh, Moses is tracing the line of promise from Seth to Noah. He's not giving an exhaustive family tree. But when we come to verse 27, we see a return to form as far as the, the way that he's been chronicling this genealogy. He says, thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah is famous for having the longest recorded life in the Bible, but even his earthly pilgrimage eventually came to an end. Now, I believe that Methuselah was saved, like Enoch, but God did not assume Methuselah into heaven as he did Enoch. No, Methuselah did die and is with the Lord right now, awaiting the resurrection of his body. The death of Methuselah, dear brothers and sisters, should remind us of the fleeting nature of life in this age. Our existence here is not forever, and we should live as our Lord exhorts us to store up treasures in heaven, not here on the earth. We should learn to value those things which are of eternal significance, Even the longest man in Scripture died eventually. He passed away, as we all will, should the Lord tarry. And this brings into crystal clear focus Jesus' words. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? As we now prepare to enter a time of prayer and reflection, I want to bring to your mind some great song lyrics that we sing here at the gathering. These particular ones were written by um, Matt Boswell, um, who I had the privilege of hearing in person at the SING conference recently, and um, Michael Bleeker. It goes like this. Come, behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. As we have considered this wonderful translation of Enoch into heaven this morning, I don't want anyone walking out with eyes fixed on anyone other than Christ. Christ. Enoch is not our hope. Christ is. Christ was Enoch's hope as well. And had Christ not conquered the grave through his death and his resurrection, Enoch would not have been brought into heaven. Quite the contrary, Enoch would have been doomed as all of us would have been. Think about it this way, beloved. If Jesus hadn't died, Enoch would have died. And all of us would be condemned to eternal death. But Christ did die. And Christ did rise from the dead. And because of that, we know that we will join him in a new earth with bodies being transformed to be like his. Paul says that when Christ, our triumphant king, appears, that the following will happen. From 1 Corinthians, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable the great Baptist theologian John Gill wrote of Christ that he is the first begotten from the dead. His resurrection is called the begetting and he was the first in time that rose from the death by his own power and to an immortal life and the first in causality and dignity. Those aforementioned hymn writers call the resurrected Christ a foretaste of deliverance. I love that. And that being the case, Perhaps we can say or think of Enoch's translation into heaven as a foretaste of a foretaste of deliverance, if you will. Infinitely less glorious than the resurrected Christ, but it is meant to point us to him. Enoch's translation is a sneak peek of what our future holds for us, dear church. And as I close... Be encouraged that like our brother Enoch, the end of your walk with God will be everlasting life with him. Let's pray together. O oh Lord Jesus, great shepherd of our souls, we fall down in humble adoration of you. What you have accomplished on our behalf will take us an eternity to thank you for and to sing your praises. Oh, how we long for that day in our flesh to look upon you, to feast with you at the marriage supper, with all of those who have gone before us. Oh Lord, we can be moved to having no words to speak when we consider the great love that you have loved us with, the agony that you endured on the cross. such that you would not be ashamed to call us your brothers, that you, O Lord Jesus, are the first begotten from the grave and that we know that you are coming back. On that day, all things will be made right. That our souls and our bodies will never be torn asunder again, that we will never sin against the Lord again. And Lord Jesus, we pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to walk in this life in such a way that we are looking forward to hoping for that day in such a way that it impacts every facet of our lives here and that we would be encouraged, joyful for this hope that we have. You, O oh Lord Jesus, are the hope of our lives, the joy, the, the life, the sweetness of our lives, and we owe everything to you, and we look forward to that day when we will cast our crowns before your feet, our King and our God. We ask this in your name, all these petitions, Lord. Amen.